You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Well, I think this morning's uh, sermon or message is going to be kind of a follow-on from Pastor Tanya's last week. It not intended, it just uh, was something that I was really preparing in a, and I feel like there's a good flow from last week. We're going to start off with a mess uh, a video. Um, so if we could just run that one, guys. That's it. <laughs> Don't you love this guy? I just love him. And he's so full of passion. I'll tell you what, if that guy was a Christian, I don't know if he is, but we'd have the whole of Red Band playing saved right now. Just do it. If you want to describe something, you know, if, if, if you're a painter, you, you would, and everybody would know what you're doing, right? If you're an author, maybe, yeah, you would know what you're doing. You know, if you drive cars, it's easy stuff. How do you describe just do it? Apparently, it's like this. The next time that you have a dream and you're talking about the dream and somebody goes like this to you, you know what he's saying. Just do it. Just do it. You know, we all know that this, this saying actually is famous through Nike. Nike sort of came up with this saying uh, about 10 years ago. And it's very popular, but it's very popular and it's such a good slogan and the most famous slogan I think that we have today because it has such deep meaning for people. The, the truth is we all have dreams and ambitions and goals that we want to see in our lives. And we want them to come to pass. But there's a barrier that stands between that and making that come true. The barrier between passions and dreams and goals on the other side is that there's a cost in order to do that. And the barrier between the cost and the dreams is called just do it. So when you get to that place, when you've been dreaming about something and you get to that point where you know you have to accept the cost and you're at that place, you can either just do it 
or you can do it tomorrow, as Pastor Tanya pointed out last week. Just do it. Some of you may be surprised to know that Nike didn't actually come up with that phrase. Someone else did. His name was Jesus. Well, actually, maybe not exactly the same phrase, but, but he said the same thing, but with such great more meaning and so much more repercussions than what Nike did. Jesus said, you do it. Let's read together. Let's open our Bibles. We're going to turn to Mark 6, 31 to 44. Open up your smartphones. If you have one. I'm reading from the message version. It's uh, the feeding of the 5,000. You do it. Let me read. The apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all that they had done and taught. Jesus said, Come off by yourself. Let's take a break and let's get some rest. For there was constant coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. So they got in the boat and went off to a remote place by themselves. But someone saw them going, and the word got around. From the surrounding town, people went out on foot, running, and got there ahead of them. When Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd. At the sight of them, his heart broke. Like sheep with no shepherd they were, he went right to work teaching them. When his disciples thought this had gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day, they interrupted. We are a long way out in the country, and it's very late. Pronounce a benediction and send these folks off so that they can get some supper. But Jesus said, you do it. You fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? You want us to go and spend a fortune on food for their supper? But he was quite serious. How many loaves of bread do you have? Take up an inventory. That didn't take long. Five, they said, plus two fish. Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100. They looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out in the green grass. He took the the loaves and the two fish. He lifted his face to heaven in prayer. He blessed it. He broke it and gave the bread to the disciples. And the disciples, in turn, gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish. They all ate their fill. The disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers, and more than 5,000 were at the supper. You see, there's a great difference between just do it and you do it. Just do it focuses on the purpose, your dream, your ambition. You do it also has a focus on the dream and ambition, but it places that second And it focuses on who will do it. And this is what Christ is saying to us. Who will do it? You do it. Jesus is always interested in the response of the people. He was interested in the response of the disciples. He didn't judge the disciples, no matter what they gave, what answer they gave. 
Sometimes he used to get really furious and, and frustrated with the disciples because he thought, by now you should know what I'm trying to tell you. When I say to you, you calm the storm, you should be ready now to calm the storm. In this case, he just kept quiet because it was a teachable moment. How we respond in different times and different situations tells a great story about where our hearts are. It told a story about where the disciples' hearts are. When they were asked the question, you do it. If you were there with Jesus and the 5,000 and Jesus asked you to do it, what would you do? There are two explanations that I can come up with which, which would explain the way and why the disciples responded in the, in the way they do. And I think if we had to analyze ourselves today, we probably would find that we would be coming up with the exact same responses as the disciples did. The first one is that they lacked compassion for the people. As we read just now, it said, When Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd. At the sight of them, his heart broke. Like sheep with no shepherd they were, he went right to work to teaching them. You know, it's an interesting thing that Jesus' heart broke over these people. You can understand when um, somebody is before you and they are completely suffering. Let's just say they, they have leprosy or, and, and their flesh is coming off and you can see their pain. Let's just say people are in so much distress or distraught because they've just lost somebody. You can have compassion when you see somebody's heart is crushed. But this people that had come out, the 5,000 people, they were not reflecting any of those things. They wanted something from Jesus. They were running after Jesus. They were clamoring after Jesus. Jesus, yeah, Jesus, you know, give us more. Do us take, you know, they wanted stuff from Jesus. They weren't a suffering bunch of people. And yet it tells us that Jesus' heart broke for them. And the reason why Jesus' heart broke for them is because he was able to look past what he saw deeper into their hearts to see exactly really what was going on. What he saw was a people who were completely lost, who were completely um, empty inside, who were waiting and longing for somebody to come and rescue them from their situation, even though that was not what they were reflecting on the outside. You know, when we look at this generation that we, we live in today, today, we can do exactly the same thing. Let's be honest. It, I think from the outside, we all look like we've all got it together. Am I right? You know, like, we got $1 Maccas. You can, you, can, you can just, you know, eat McDonald's all day long if you want. Everybody drives cars, everybody um, you know, goes home and has food, everybody has a house over their head. We live in luxury compared to the rest of the world, or you know, 
very big percentage of the rest of the world. From the outside, we, we, we all carry expensive phones. We have it all together. If you look just across people in our country, we don't need anything. But if you had to look a little bit deeper, like Jesus did, into the hearts of people, you will see that the people today are exactly in the same state as they were in Jesus' day when he was feeding the 5,000. I'm going to throw some stats at you this morning. And you can check these up yourself. And I'm talking particularly, these stats are particularly about the younger generation, the millennial generation. Millennials have so many friends. They got like 5,000, you know, friends on Facebook. They got so many people around them with technology. But yet it's a fact that millennials are the loneliest generation that has existed to up to today. Millennials have the highest rate of suicide that has ever existed. Millennials have the highest rate of mental illness. Millennials have the highest rate of anxiety and depression. So how is it, how is it that we all look like we all got it together? Compassion allows you to look inside. If you don't have compassion of people, you will never be able to see what Jesus sees on the inside. And it's this compassion that gets us to be able to move. When Jesus says, you do it, that we're able to do something about it. Do you know that compassion is the foregoer of miracles? Miracles don't happen without compassion, without love. Sometimes we make the biggest mistake in thinking that miracles are, th are, are, are the thing that counts. And when a miracle becomes more valued than the person that needs it, we're in trouble. Because there's no compassion in it. We're healing people because we want to see a sign and wonder. We're not healing people because we want to see them healed because we have compassion and love over them. So when you're praying for people and you're not seeing healing, it's because compassion hasn't the process of compassion hasn't begun yet. When you see somebody that needs something, your heart should be broken for them first before we pray for a healing and miracle over them. But the command from Jesus to, uh, that says, you do it, asks another question of compassion of them too. It asks this question, do you care enough about my people? Do you care enough about my people as I do? Do we really care enough about each other here in this church? As our church services become so service-focused and so inward-focused 
and I'm not saying on purpose, I'm not saying we do this on purpose at all, but has it become so generically, so inward focused that we actually don't see the needs of other people around us? You know, I, I'm not at liberty to say any names, and I'm not going to say any names, but I'm aware of, of many people in our church who have come and gone, who have spoken to me after the fact and said, you know, David, I left because I was sick and something happened to me or something went wrong. And there, was, there were times when I actually felt like the church didn't care about me because nobody reached out to me when I was gone. Nobody noticed I was gone. Do you know the early church really got this stuff? The Word of God tells us that they came together. When Jesus ascended, they came together. The Holy Spirit drew, drew them together. They loved to be in relationship with each other. They loved to be, you know, connecting with each other. And those who had lots, who had, were rich and had properties, would sell their properties and bring it to the table so that those who had none could have some and everybody had equal. That's the picture of the early church. And I've heard many people say, well, God's not doing that anymore. That's what God did in the past. I say, that's rubbish. God is the same as he was today as he is, was yesterday. That is a cop-out for not doing what we are supposed to be doing, loving one another. The royal command is to love one another. That is not changing. There was a, um, a lovely story about a, um, a group a group of um, scholars who are studying um, theology. And they were in the final year. And uh, they were sitting their exams, final year exams. And uh, part of the exam was a practical exam where they, uh, they had to write about what it means to care for, for those in need. And so they had a writing portion. Then, then they were asked to run off to the library and research what it means to care for the needy and write a little section there and then rush back and give it, give it to the, the professor. Um, but they didn't realize that uh, on their way back they were going to meet people who were staged. So they went off and they, they, they were like, you know, because there was a time frame, you know, and they had to have it all done in the time frame, otherwise they failed. So they were rushing around and they, you know, they went and they wrote all this stuff and they're rushing back. And on their way back, uh, they would have like really, you know, poor looking people come up to them and stop them in their tracks as they were rushing past and say, oh, can you please help me? I'm in so much need. You know, I'm in pain and I need, and you know, I've, I've got no food. I haven't eaten for three days. And every single one of these scholars said, sorry, sir, but I can't. I have to get my paper and how to, f to help the needy back to my, my professor. And they all failed. Because sometimes church life is just in our heads but we don't act upon it. We know what Scripture says and we can quote it firsthand. But it's just like the you do, you know, just do it factor. When we get to that, when we get to that point where that barrier that we know that there's going to be a cost on the other side, we say, I'll do it tomorrow. But Jesus is saying, you do it. You, you do it. There are people, let's start off with this church. There are people in this church 
that need you, not somebody else. You with your perfect gift that God has given you. You with your perfect caring that God has given you. God has called each and every one of us. And he's calling you to do it. To go and be somebody. To bring encouragement to somebody. To bring life to somebody. To bring hope to somebody. To bring them back to church. To bring them back to God. The second thing that the, uh, the, the disciples may have responded with is that their faith was relying on material resources instead of divine resources. They replied, Are you serious, Jesus? You want us to go and spend a fortune on food for their supper? You better realize that when Jesus asks you to do something, it's not going to be something that you can do in your own strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 11 says, For my power is made perfect in weakness. You won't find an earthly solution for it. You have to start with faith. But I want to get real for a minute because, you know, when we're talking about signs and wonders and miracles, because signs and wonders and miracles are part of, you know, if, 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 we, if we're to do something for Christ, there's so many different ways we can do it. We can actually do it sort of physically, go and help somebody, or there can be, you know, somebody who's in need and we can pray. We can pray for them and we can pray for a, a miracle to take place. But if we're real about miracles... There's an aspect of us that we step back from it in fear because we feel like our faith is not strong enough for a miracle to take place. Am I right? Just think about this. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, did he take the bread and the fish and go, and then there was this massive loaf of bread, like a massive thing on the, on the floor there, and everybody just came and took a piece of it. Or these, you know, this big bread loaf and these big fish, like a whale lying on the... Lying on the it didn't work like that way. What it says is that Jesus looked up and he blessed and he broke it and he gave, he gave it to the disciples and the disciples then passed it on to the people. Where was the miracle taking place? Jesus was still back there. Remember, all these people are up on the hill. There's like 5,000 people. Where was the miracle taking place? In the hands of the people. As they were breaking the bread, it was just growing back. Right? I break two pieces and then that piece is big enough to be broken again. I break two pieces. It's big enough to be broken again. And it just went round and round and round and carried on going. The miracle was in the bread. Jesus caused the miracle to be in the bread. The bread was changing. The bread was the thing that was growing. The bread is the one that multiplied. The fish multiplied. The Jesus is still back there.
We don't create miracles. And we don't need to be fearful that we have to create miracles. Jesus is always the one that creates the miracle. All he requires is that we release it. That miracle worker is now in you. He's no longer up on the bank. It's no longer I. But it's Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 20, 20. When God calls you to do something, to pray for something, you need to remember that the miracle has already been created. When we stand in fear, when we're asked to pray for somebody, because sometimes the situations are quite calm and there's lots of people around, but sometimes you, be, you get to ask to pray one-on-one. -on -one. And it's like, ooh, one-on-one, that, that's, that's quite hard. That's like, that's, that's, this, is, this is scary stuff. But I want you to know something, that fear is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. There's nothing wrong with fear. In fact, I want to tell you something, that fear is actually a very good place to be. Do you know that when you stand back and say somebody else can do it, what you're actually doing is you're standing in a place of pride. You're standing in a place of strength. You're saying, God, you go there, you take that person, uh, you do that, you, you, those people can do it. You, you're commanding from a place of strength of what God must do. But when you stand forward in your fear, then God can use you. Because it's in your weakness that God can use you. It's in your weakness that God gives you strength to do stuff. God cannot use you when you're here. He cannot use you when you're standing back. And it's that barrier that we come up with again, just do it. It's that barrier that says, God, I'm fearing it, I'm fearing it, I'm fearing it, but I'm going to step into it at whatever cost it cost me because I believe that you can do this. You can do this. And that's all that God needs. And he will release something over, over the people that you're praying with. He'll release something over the family that you're praying for. He'll release something over your children that you're praying for. He'll release something over the finances that you're praying for. When you pray in that order. There's an old man. Can we have the worship team come up? There's an old man that um, used to visit... Well, he, not used to. He visits his, the, the, the hospital every single day for himself, 
and for somebody else. And so one day he's visiting the doctor and you could, the doctor could see he was a bit agitated and he said, what's, what's wrong? I said, well, I've got another appointment in the hospital. I've got to be there at 9 a.m. So he said, oh, uh, where are you going? He said, well, I, I'm going to go and see my wife. She's in one of the wards. Um, and he said, oh, what's wrong with her? And he said, well, she's had Alzheimer's for, for, for 10 years. And... Um, so the so the doctor said, uh, you know that that's that's terrible. You know what what are you doing? He said, well I, well, I have breakfast with her for 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 every single morning. I have breakfast with her, but the only problem is that she she no longer knows who I am. For the last six years, she's not remembered who I am at all. And the doctor was really confused and looked at him and said, I, I don't understand. Why do you have breakfast with your wife if she no longer knows who you are? And he said. Well, it's true, she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. You know, there are millions of people in this world. There are tens of thousands of people in Red Bank Plains who have forgotten God. But God has not forgotten them. God will sit with them every single day, and He will breakfast with them every single day. And He will knock on their hearts every single day in hope that one day they will turn to Him. And we should be the same. The Word of God says, love one another, but above all, love your church. Love the community of your church. If we have fallen so far and abdicated the responsibilities that we have, that we should be doing, it's time to get back to loving one another to making sure that all of our needs are met in this church, making sure that every single one of us know that we are loved and cared for in this church. Amen. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.